Well, welcome to A Different Door. A Different Door is a different kind of worship experience here at Grace Avenue, where every week we gather together to have a nuanced conversation about the scriptures, what's going on in our world, um, and seek to really dive deep. Today, I'm joined by Carol Petridis, our modern pastoral intern. My name is Christopher Vaughn. I'm one of the pastors here, um, and we're really excited to have a conversation with you this morning. We've been talking for um, two weeks now about what it means to tell a story, to tell a story of our lives, to tell a story of our faith. We know that stories are what builds community and connection. We know that stories is what tells us a little bit about who we are. Or maybe about who our families are, or what our families' values are. And so I wanted to start off this morning by saying, uh, what are the stories that shape your family? What are the stories that you guys tell uh, around the Thanksgiving table or around the Christmas tree? What are the stories that come up over and over again that in some way tell something that's important to your family? Yeah, so um, when we were talking earlier this week, I was tickled by this particular story that my sister actually loves to tell about me. So I remember um, whenever I brought over friends and they were meeting my family for the first time, my, my sister had to make sure that, that she told this about me. So I'll just tell it on myself. Um, so, so when I was maybe four or five years old, um, my mom was, was really, really with it. Like she was setting the table every morning for breakfast for my sister and I, full breakfast, eggs, bacon, and she would put a little Flintstones vitamin on our napkins every morning. And obviously she was wanting us to grow up healthy and strong and she would put that in that little spot. And I did not like Flintstones vitamins, which I'm not sure if you've ever had them, but I think they still taste like trash as an adult. It is the tastiest piece of chalk you can eat. (laughs) Right. So anyway, my little four or five-year-old self um, decided that I was not going to take these, but instead I would pretend like I was putting it in my mouth, hide it in my thumb, and then go slide them into the couch cushions. So I did this for evidently roughly about a year before my mom checked the couch. And when she did go to clean in between the couch cushions, probably expecting to find like a little bit of change or maybe like, you know, a Cheerio or two, um, there were 365 Flintstones vitamins uh, in the couch cushions. So... I don't know. I, I guess I just, I started scheming and hiding very early. Yeah. So uh, note to John Petridis, uh, if you have been giving Carol vitamins, she's not eating them. Please check the couch cushions. <laughs> oh my goodness. But yeah, that, that's one of the classics in our family is me and the vitamin hiding. I love that story. We, we tell a lot of stories about my dad in our family, uh-huh. um, probably because so many of them are so good and about my grandfather. Um, and one of my favorites is uh, my grandfather in you know his late fifties um, started finally losing some of his hair, mm. and, and he was really really concerned. He had beautiful white hair um, for most of the time that I knew him, right? Because he was my grandfather. Sure. Uh, <laughs> and um, but he started to kind of lose some of his hair, and he got really nervous. So he went to his his doctor, and they said, Doc, you know I've been losing some of my hair. Is there anything I can do? And I've been really worried about it, really stressed, really anxious about it, actually. And the doctor said, well, get yourself a really good, stiff wire brush and just go ahead and start combing it. 
My grandfather said, well, okay, well, is that going to, like, stimulate the scalp, which stimulates growth, and and it'll come back in stronger, or what? And the doctor said, well, no, but it will help it get it on out of there, and then you don't have to worry about it. (laughs) Uh, So uh, we, we still tell that story. I think all of us have stories that we tell about our families. Some of us, if we have... Um, family systems and family structures that aren't healthy, right? We more tell stories about our friends. But those structures and those families or those um, chosen families, Mm -hmm. right? The stories that we tell tell us something about the identity of those groups. Mm -hmm. What do they value? What's important to them? And those stories that we tell over and over and over again reveal something about who we are, but also about what we value. Mm. And so I think it's interesting that you have this story about hiding vitamins, right? We've all got little stories here and there that um, get shared often. Um, But they tell us something, I think, about who we are. And one of the things that I love about the Bible, and is the Bible is always trying to reveal to us who God Mm. is. Mm -hmm. So I think the second question is, what are the stories that shape the core of our faith? Mm-hmm. Right, We've got um, core stories in Scripture that give us an idea of what God is like, mm-hmm. of how God interacts with God's people. And I think what's really interesting to me is the stories that Jesus tells or the stories that people tell about Jesus mm-hmm. are always Jesus revealing God in a way that people didn't expect, mm-hmm. um, always revealing God in a way that they didn't anticipate. Um, and so I've got a story here that I think reveals something about God this morning. Um, Then I want to read to us. It comes from the book of John, chapter 4. And it might be familiar to some of you, um, but it's the story of the Samaritan woman. Let's hear now the word of the Lord. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, What is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me? a woman of Samaria, because Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me. The hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. That the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. 
For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. And Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. And just then his disciples came, and they were astonished that he was speaking with a woman. But no one said, What do you want, or why are you speaking with her? And the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. And she said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? Then they left the city and were on their way to him. Yeah, I, I love that story. And I, I connect with it so much because I think there's, there's so much richness and so much going on here. One thing that I like is that there's this moment here where there is a woman at a well, and from my understanding, men and women speaking in public wasn't really a thing back in those days. It was sort of inappropriate. And Jesus goes to this woman and begins talking to her. And we know from the story that she's had five husbands and the man that she lives with now is not her husband. And maybe there are things within her that she feels like she needs to hide. And here we have Jesus, the Messiah, showing that he already knows everything about her. And she even says that, he knows everything that I've ever done. And we see from that original moment, Jesus is wanting to offer her that living water. So I think in this story, there is something powerful about how God knows us. And it ties back to my vitamin story because I wanted to hide those vitamins because I didn't want my mom to know that I didn't like them. I didn't want her to know something about me that was imperfect. But even as an adult, I find myself doing that. And many of us might find ourselves doing that, that we don't want people to know about this one thing. And we may even wish that we could hide those things from God. But God loves us no matter what our past is. There is nothing that we need to hide from God. And that's one of the, the many things that I think is going on in this story. And I think is so beautiful because God doesn't care what the Samaritan woman has done in her past. In fact, it doesn't matter to the point where he goes and breaks the rules of what he's supposed to be doing. And he offers her this living water. And then she goes on to tell the other Sumerians what she has found out about the Messiah. So there's not only this moment where we see the provenient grace, where God has gone before her and loves her from the, from the get-go. She doesn't have to do anything to earn that. And then we see a progression in the story where she goes from this man who's just a Jewish man to recognizing that he is the Messiah. And so that's justifying grace there. And then she moves forward on her journey where she goes into sanctifying grace of telling the people and exploring what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Yeah, I think the interesting thing too in this story um, is there is no guilt, mm. right? There's no, there's no guilt tripping the Mm-mm. Samaritan woman. There's no shaming her. It's simply a, no, I know these things, mm-hmm. right? 
and you're right to be honest with me. Mm-hmm. Right? But he doesn't then say, but this is some terrible stuff you've done. Right. Right? Like, let's get this repented, and then you accept me in your heart. I've got a little prayer that I've invented. It's called the sinner's prayer. And if you'll just that pray it hard. with me, that will be good to go. Right? That doesn't happen in the story. Uh, there's an immediate acceptance of her. Mm-hmm. There's an immediate showing of love towards her. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things that maybe modern day Christians get wrong quite often, mm. right? Is they lean too much into the guilt and shame and the focus on sin mm-hmm. instead of leaning into the love and grace and the focus on care. Yes. And one of the things that we see time and time again in the stories of Jesus is an immediate leaning into that care. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that is we, we live in a culture that is highly focused on the next best thing. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, iPhone 14, right, just came out. Yep. And a lot of people who were like, iPhone 13, not so good anymore, right? <laughs> right. Um, I don't care that the iPhone 14 has the exact same specs. I, I'm going to buy it, right? Um, and then, you know, you're, you're really happy with your closet, until you watch like HDTV mm. and realize that like your closet is not as organized as it could be. Absolutely not. There, there are several, you know, bins that you could buy for a couple hundred bucks that would make it so much better. Right. Or do the home edit where it's all of the different colors and your closet sort of looks like a rainbow. Everything's organized by color. Yeah, and it's just gorgeous. I know. Right? I mean, I need uh, that. And so you're looking for the next best item to buy, right? Um, our lives are always looking towards the next thing. And when someone upsets us and they no longer fulfill our happiness, right? We walk away. We look for Mm. the next relationship. Our souls rarely settle Mm. as our lives are planned out, priced out, um, and seeking perfection. And so I I think we miss often that aching question behind our search for the next best thing. And that question ultimately is we desire a fulfillment— a rest and a joy that cannot be found in another person, another place, or another project. Mm. And yet, we often don't see the satisfaction we desire can only be filled by the Messiah. Mm. And this is what happened in the story with the Mm -hmm. Samaritan woman. Mm -hmm. She's continuing to look for the next best thing, never really understanding that what she really needed was this connection and relationship with Jesus. It changed her whole world. Mm-hmm. The living water, mm-hmm. the water that wouldn't leave her thirsty. Yeah, yeah that's she, great. She had to find, um, in some way, something better than what the world had to offer. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. that's part of the interesting thing for me in that story as well. Um, because she was hiding parts sure. of who she was. Um, and there's, there's a reason, right, that she's at the well at the time of day that she is. Mm. Right? Um, because most people would be resting during that time period. They're not going to be out at the well. It's hot. Mm. It's uncomfortable. Um, going to the well was actually a communal practice. Right? People would go together. Mm. And all of the women would have gone together to draw well water. Um, and they would come early in the morning or late in the afternoon when it's not so hot. But we learned that this woman comes to the well regularly at this time in the story. And it's because she's been married five times. Mm. She is living with someone who is not her husband. um, And she's trying to avoid the shame that would come by attending the well with the other women. Mm. Um, And yet, Jesus, in his divine intentionality, sought to meet this specific woman at this specific time. Mm -hmm. And isn't that what Jesus does for us? It, it It is so powerful when you realize, I think, what is underlying the, the text here. It's 
This is how far my, my love goes. And I think we see this several times where Jesus isn't necessarily hanging out with the powerful and the rich or what we would think of as the modern day celebrities or the mayor or the you know, most popular people in our political system. But Jesus is hanging out with the tax collectors, um, with the people that are at the bottom of society. And I think it shows us something so powerful about who God is and how God views us. And I think that's the important piece of the story, mm-hmm. right? Who God is, how God views us. I think, too, about the woman caught in adultery, mm. right? She's dragged by all of these uh, religious folks mm-hmm. into the center of town because she's been caught in adultery. Mm-hmm. Um, and they look at Jesus and say, the law's pretty clear here, Jesus, right? Um, this woman's to be stoned to death. What do you want us to do? Um, and the law is clear, but they're taking a loose interpretation of the law. The mm. law says that both of them should be stoned. Mm. Um, somehow the man is conveniently not oh, in the center of town. Perfect. Um, don't, don't know how that happened, right? Be surprised, right, mm-hmm. um, to figure out how that occurred. Um, and then we read in the story that instead of condemning this woman, Jesus begins to draw in the dirt, Mm. Now, we've all speculated about what Jesus drew in the dirt, right, mm-hmm. or wrote in the dirt. Um, some will say it's the sins of every person standing around him. Mm. Right? I always like that interpretation. Um, I, there, I have a friend who thinks that Jesus was just doodling to pass the time. Right? <laughs> the heart. Um, yeah, if, if, that, if Jesus doodled, that's cool too. Okay. Um, but there's this moment where Jesus then looks at the crowd and says, let you who without sin mm. cast the first stone. Let's look at ourselves first before we start condemning. And then they all leave one by one in shame. Mm-hmm. And then finally, he looks at the woman and says, who still condemns you? And she looks around and she says, well, no one. And then he says, well, go and sin no more. Mm. Right? And I think that when we look at this story, I think so often religious folks put themselves in the place of Jesus. Mm. They look at this story and they say, oh, well, I, I am Jesus. I, you know, Jesus did say, go and sin no more. Right? Sure. But not before looking around and saying, who condemns you? Neither do than I. Right? I'm not condemning you either. Therefore, go. Mm. There's this reminder of the grace and love that is offered before a, probably don't get yourself in this situation again. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think when people put themselves in the story, they put themselves in the place of Jesus. Mm. That's a dangerous place to put yourself. Absolutely. Right? And instead, often I think we should find ourselves in the crowd, mm-hmm. in the crowd of hypocrites who have dragged someone forward, but mm, we left one party out. Mm-hmm. And who, uh, you know, each of us probably could take the place of that woman mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because each of us has sinned. Mm-hmm. And yet all of them dispersed. Mm-hmm. And I think the, that tells us, again, something about what God is like. Right. Um, over and over again, as Jesus told stories, as Jesus interacted with people, um, it was trying to show us a picture of a God that loves beyond our capability or understanding. Mm-hmm. And we know people didn't understand it because they argued with Jesus about it quite often. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, you know, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom... 
that, that chair at the right hand side, that's mine, right? <laughs> right? Like, I'm going to help you lead the kingdom, right? Like, because I'm pretty good at organizing things. Sure. You know? And, uh, you know, Peter's just okay. Right. But, like, he, he can be the rock you build things with, right? That's cool. But, like, you're going to need someone to organize this. Sure. Right? And Jesus goes, mm, you don't really understand what the kingdom of God is like. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you a parable about workers in a vineyard. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Let me tell you a story about seeds scattered. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Let me tell you a little bit about what it's like when one lost sheep is missing mm-hmm. and what the love of the Father is like. And so we have these stories of our faith that tell us what God is like in a mm-hmm. new way, that reveal God in a way that we'd never had known God to be like before. Mm-hmm. And then the reminder over and over and over again that people come first. Right. Um, and that's, that's the piece that I love about this story that we read today of the Samaritan woman or the woman caught in adultery or any number of times, right? The man with the withered hand, um, the paralyzed. People come first every time right. above anything else. Right. And I think it's so powerful because when we are reading stories, sort of like you were talking about when a person puts themselves in the place of, of Jesus or they put themselves in the story, I think that's another really powerful element about stories is that we're able to imagine ourselves in the story in a way that if someone was just telling us a truth, like God loves you no matter your past, it doesn't settle or doesn't sit into us as much as if you're standing in the place of the Samaritan woman. Or if you're imagining yourself in the crowd, dropping your stone, thinking about the things that you have done and you make that decision to forgive, you know, a mistake of someone else, because again, you're putting yourself into that story. And I think it sticks with you more and is something that you care, like you're able to carry with you in a more powerful way than just having the truth or having the words set out before you. Um, So that's a really beautiful thing about these stories and about the things that the Bible offers us both Old and New Testament because we have these opportunities to um, imagine where where we are. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and how many of us have been in a relationship with somebody, and you don't have to raise your hands or comment online, um, where they were like, oh, I love you. And you were like, <laughs> right? Um, not Thank because you. you were uncomfortable with the words, but because you're like, really? Do you? Right? Like, I don't know that I believe that. And through time and attention, those words came true. Mm. Stories give us that time and attention. Mm. Because time after time after time, Jesus was consistent in the message. Mm-hmm. Right? It is one story after another story of, I love you. Mm. Really? Yeah. And let me show you how deep and strong that love is. Let me put people and encounter people in these stories that normally you would say, oh my gosh, Mm. surely not. Mm -hmm. And yet there's a love made manifest. And so as we find ourselves in the story, we also get reminded consistently of the message of the grace and love of God. That's right. That's right. All right, Carol, final thoughts today. I think a final thought that I have is just to encourage everyone to think about the stories of your life. It was, it was an interesting exercise for me when uh, we were talking about this earlier this week, and I, and I started to think of some of the stories of my life, and 
All of them weren't happy, cheery stories. Um, but I, I think that that's an important thing to do, important work to do, to go through your catalog of stories and think about those that shaped you. And then maybe have the opportunity to flip through your catalog of, of Bible stories as well. And those that you, you really connect with and, and the opportunity that you have in the biblical stories to put yourselves in, in that narrative. I think that is an interesting way to, to use stories and a thought-provoking exercise. So I would just encourage everyone to, to do that this week and um, maybe journal or pray or whatever you do to sort of reflect on, on what those stories, both in your personal life and in the Bible, mean to you. Yeah. I think that's a powerful word because when we talk about these stories that we've shared this morning, right? First, we were like, what are the stories that just shape you? What are the stories that tell about your values? Mm -hmm. What are the stories that tell about what your family or your chosen family values? Mm -hmm. Those stories that we tell over and over and over again, whether we think they do or not, they're sharing some kind of moral value, right? right? Um, and, And we want to teach people something about who we are when we tell them. That's why we tell them over and over and over again. Um, and the, the thing about them is, at their core, they are sharing something. It's the same with our Bible stories. Mm-hmm. They are sharing something about God's love, about God's grace, about how God interacts with God's people, about how God is present in our world, both then and today. Mm-hmm. They share this picture. And when we share our stories together, the little piece of the picture that we have mm-hmm. becomes a greater tapestry than we mm-hmm. could imagine. And so my encouragement is the same. Share the stories mm-hmm. of, your, of your lives. Share the stories of your families. Um, share the stories of your friends. Um, and most importantly, share the stories of your faith. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen.